You're listening to the New Utah Podcast with your hosts, Bree. People can say my name and I still don't pay attention. Chris. This is what happens when your number one health concern in the state is porn. Jeremy. Flicks it and then walks out and just kicks the living crap out of whoever. And Julia. This week on Julia does everything that's embarrassing. It's episode 264 of the New Utah Podcast. Um... We are down one person. We're Julia-less. Julia-less-less-less. Because of some scheduling issues. We were originally supposed to record today. She has a steamy hot date night where her and Brighton will go out and do some date And then they'll go home to their own rooms. And then they'll sleep in their own bedrooms. Or is this a night that they sometimes sleep in the same room, do you think? Maybe something special. (laughs) It's a steamy (laughs) date night. I don't understand. Maybe it's a shitty date night. Maybe the date night doesn't go so well. I wouldn't say millennials because Cassie's the same age and her and her boyfriend she don't thought, sleep away from each other. They thought it was other. fucking weird as hell. Like they made Sean sleep on the couch when she went and stayed with Cassie because he didn't want to go back to his place. Oh, gotcha. Because normally she would just sleep in we, Cassie's bed. We we love you, Julia. Um, but you're weird. <laughs> but yeah, that's, <laughs> that's weird. Um, I did want to talk about, uh, before we really get into the show, I want to bring this up. We've only got a couple more weeks left of it. Um, you know, we were out at Oleo a couple weeks ago um, while at the new home, the future home of Oleo, the Bean Hole, and um, Hello Bulk up in Sugar House in the neighbor, at the Neighborhood Hive. Uh, they do have a Kickstarter that's still actively running. Um, just go to Kickstarter and search for... For the neighborhood hive. It's the only one. Uh, Jamaica is the one that's running it. She's the owner of Hello Bulk. Uh, they're looking for uh, money to help with the build out, to help fund the build out. I mean, these guys are all businesses right now. Hello Bulk is the exception, although, as you heard from talking to her, they're also moving their main location. Um, but the other two don't have a physical space that they get to operate out of right now right. In, the, in the meantime. Yeah, so. they've, they've already been kicked out of their homes. So Yeah, so they were in a place that's being redeveloped. The fences are up, and um, they're down the street now. Uh, but... That building that they're down the street in isn't actually in a space that they can occupy yet. So um, on Saturdays, uh, if you'd like stuff, um, they have a limited amount of stuff that's up there. What you really ought to do for any of them is get a hold of them online, um, you know, like Oleo, uh, and you can designate a pickup, and then you can go have a conversation with yeah. them. It's really relaxed. Um, I think Julie was out there last yeah, weekend. Yeah, so they let Julia set up her little shop, so she was out there. She said that the bean hole... Sold out of everything he had in about 30, 40 minutes. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> his coffee's really fucking good. That's what's up there uh, that I'm cold brewing right now. His coffee's really good. Uh, and so th- when we went up there opening weekend, it was a constant. It was a, I was surprised. It was a fairly steady, constant stream of people uh-huh. for um, both, you know, Oleo and the Bean Hole. And I think uh, Jamaica is going to be loading up that van with bulk stuff at some yeah, point. Julia said well. she had quite a bit last week. And oh, good. In fact, she said when she goes back this next week, She's going to stuck up on her herbs because she's got a whole bunch of herbs, but you don't have to buy 10 pounds or you, you can yeah. buy a small amount. You can, you can buy a, a bundle or, right. you know, and, and it's all your own container. I really like Hello Bulk. I wish they would put one in Kearns, but people would just steal their food. <laughs> they just like, you know, like the Slurpee thing. People like go under the Slurpee machine and just wheeze, drink it. Wheeze, wheeze the, the juice. juice. Uh, I don't know if people really would do that. They don't. Uh, but anyway, um, I do want to mention their Kickstarter. 
go help them out. Um, there's a whole bunch of different reward tiers there. Um, you know, I, I think personally the class thing where you get like six different class passes is soap. probably the sweetest. Soap classes. Um, soap for a year is pretty sweet. That's a lot of fucking soap. Um, but I, I like the class thing, uh, quite a bit. Um, there's the, the party as well, uh, is a, is a, is a really good reward level. Uh, they're gonna have a big grand opening kind of party and then you're gonna be invited to it if you, uh, Last I looked, they're about a third of the way there. That's pretty good. But I think they're only open through the end of this month. Uh, June. The Kickstarter is, yeah. The yes. Kickstarter is only yeah. open for a couple more weeks. So, so don't wait. Yeah. Get up on that. Um, yeah. Don't don't be me and be indecisive and not support Yeah, them. we have not figured out what level Chris would like to be at, so we have not I have not donated. Yet. <laughs> I will be donating to but, them. But though. yes, we will. Uh, we, we love those guys. So I just, I'd like to mention them. Um, they're a great uh, local Utah community builder. Um, and that, the, I still like the coolest thing about that place for me is the small business incubation stuff that they're doing. I, I really, I was actually telling people about it, uh, uh, earlier this week and, and last week. Like it's such a cool concept and it's such a cool uh, way to be able to provide people a semi-permanent home to really figure out if they can make this business yeah. thing work. Well, I know Brian, Brian was talking to her about putting up some of his art there. Like on consignment, but also as a way of decorating, decorating. the wall. Yes. Yeah, Which would is be cool. like, that's a common thing for a place like this to do, to yeah. be able to, they don't have to pay for the art and the artist doesn't have to pay for the space, but the artist gets exposure. So. Right. And we've been to a couple of places where we've seen that. The yeah. Cider, Mountain West Cider, mm-hmm. right? when we went there, they had art on the walls that was all for yep. sale, but it, it also was art. So right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, really cool concept. Help these guys out. Just they're so cool. They're so awesome. And go meet them. Go up there on Saturday to their little farmers market, which is now through August or September. Now through September, to, through the end of summer. I mean, they'll probably do I'm it sure until they're it. in the space. Yeah. yeah, every Saturday from eight to noon. Uh, they said if it's super busy, they'll go a little bit longer. But eight to noon is kind of what they're targeting right now. They've done it uh, two Saturdays so far, and they've had a pretty good turnout. Both sides. And again. Call ahead or message yeah. them ahead of time and say, hey, this is what I want. And they'll bring it specifically for you. Yep. They'll have it bagged up and ready to go. You could pay online or you can pay when you get there. Yep. Um, and like with, with Jed, like if you order ahead, he'll set your stuff aside so that you don't get there and there's nothing left because he's sold out of everything he fucking roasted. Because, again, he doesn't have his own facility like we right. talked right. to him. Right, so he he's, can't keep a, a whole bunch in stock. He's yeah, so just... he's he's roasting when he can get time at a facility with right. roasting. Yeah, uh, so he's only bringing a small a small portion with him. And the whole beans and the grounds he's selling as well. Oh, he's but, doing the grounds as well? He's grinding them? Yeah. Well, he had some of each that Julia said he had couple dozen bags of each but they were super fast and and it is a little small market so there's always somebody else like a julia or something else that's kind of there to just and they're trying to they're trying to build just like within inside of the space they're trying to build that area up so get people um, used to coming there and i mean if you have a small business that's actually you know a good local business and you have uh you know a business plan you can reach out to to any of those three businesses that are are partnering together to talk to them about potentially joining their little market as well yeah it's just a, a fun little community thing that's great and, yeah. love those guys yeah uh the farmer's market's been open for a couple weeks now uh yep. no signs of slowing down that place it was is packed busy. and not like so like in other years so we always go early right we're always there between eight and nine usually and it's usually pretty quiet like when it's like until about 10 30 11 it's usually fairly quiet 
Uh-uh. It is. It was before nine when we got there, and it was. And the buzz truck line was. People are just so desperate to get back to whatever we're calling normal these days. To to be able to go to the farmers market, it's been taken. Just the whole concept has. Just we just take advantage of it, and then not last year not being able to have it. I think really opened up a lot of people's eyes of how important it really is for the community. Well, they had it. They just. It was very restricted. Well, it was restricted. And there were no was... artists. Right. So again, this time the whole park is being utilized. There's a few, there's fewer vendors. They are, in they are spaced out. Right. They're not on the outside ring like they normally are. So like where the, where the farm is and where the, the, the art side on the, what is it, the east side of the park? East, they, they east norm, the east, they would normally south have, side. Yeah, have people along those park strips. Uh, they they don't. don't. They don't have anybody on the outside of the park. They're all on the inside. So l- l- and then they're actually using some of the cross sidewalks that they hadn't really utilized before. To get the interior. Um, right. and, and you've got people. Well, those are new, are, too, because those are from right. the redesign of the so park. So they didn't use them. They used them last year. Right. They used them when we just had half the park, when they didn't have the whole park open. And now they're continuing to utilize those. So they do have- so. Artists. Yes, they do have some artisans mm-hmm. and artists. Um, yep. So it, it feels much more like the market. There are definitely a lot fewer farmers uh, than normal because I think they're still – some of it is they're trying to contract with all of them. They're trying to stay within – because they have to be in Salt Lake City guidelines, not just the county right. or the state. And they are – Salt Lake City is the most restrictive of, of anywhere in the state. Um, I suspect as summer progresses um, – it will potentially open up more and maybe they can get some more vendors in as the season begins to change and we start to see, you know, more fruits and vegetables coming into season. Right. So, I mean, you got to keep in mind early in the year like this, it's all just greens. It's yeah, you're at the greens, in between. Pea. You got peas, cherries. Your cherries, your peas, some of that stuff. But, but then you're going to have a little bit of a lag. Before the next round of stuff, yeah. cucumbers are still a little ways out. Yeah, and the ones that grow in greenhouses still have some stuff. Yeah, right. Um, but anyway, that's running. Um, so the, the other markets, Wheeler's Farm Market's running. Um, most of the other markets are up and running. And I can't tell you, there's not a better place to get produce. Oh yeah, not at all. Like the, it just hands down is the best way to way to do it. So. Well, and the meat. So do the, the, they have the meat vendors yep. there? Oh, yeah, they've got all the ranchers that have their steaks and stuff. And you do pay more for the steaks, um, but you're buying direct from the ranchers. Um, and they are... They're not mystery You can tell cuts. the difference. Mystery cuts with food dye in them. Like there is the a big store. difference in flavor <laughs> on those, those, those cuts. So I highly recommend trying it. Even the ground beef is better. Uh, I would highly recommend buying some stuff. Even if you just do it for a hot, sexy night like Julie is having. Yeah. That's right. Some really quality steaks for you and the missus or misters. Well, Heather and I will do that every so often, get the kids pizza or send them off to friends' house, and then we'll go buy ourselves like a $30 steak, mm-hmm. grill it up, and not, not share it with the kids because they don't appreciate it like we do. No. Oh, my gosh. I since I think since Chris has been around, my girls have always appreciated a steak. That's my that's, kids are hit and miss. Yeah, but I could get them like a petite sirloin, and it would be yeah. just as good as a bone. But, and they wouldn't. To them. They probably wouldn't really notice either. The only difference is the bone-in stuff. They do like the bones. Yeah, we like to eat the bones. The bone adds so much flavor. It does. It's so good. Um, 
I don't know why I whispered that. It's like the fat in a pot roast. That is what flavors it. Yep. These people who cut out all the fat and then stick it I mean, in you want to cut, like, when you're doing, like, a chuck roast, you want to cut the really big, thick fat, because that doesn't render. It just be, it's just It just fat. gets jelly Yeah, and so you do want to cut that, but you don't. Like, you want a really want those, marbled, yeah, like, heavily veined, marbled chuck roast. Mm. I'm hungry now. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it is not... Chuck roast weather, though. I am sorry. It is so fucking hot. 104 degrees today. And I was out there in my suit coat in a building with no AC, just dying today. Yeah, I, uh, so yesterday (laughs) we, we had a, had a meeting at work and I've never really read the dress code because most of the time I just, I wear, I, He's I, pretty much always in dress. Clothes. I'm in I'm in professional dress. I don't wear a jacket or a tie because that's overkill. But I pretty much always dress professionally. One, the cl- the clothes are comfortable, so I don't mind. Uh, and two, I just like to look nice. Um, but it's fucking summer. It's a hundred fucking degrees outside. I don't want to wear that shit. And so I was like, Hey, do we have? Because I know we've done a bunch of changes to the dress code. Because when I first started there. Uh, everyone had to wear scrubs that wasn't management. Oh. And I'm like, but I don't want to be, because I'm, you know, I'm management. I don't want to be the guy that's like wearing shorts when we're not allowing the employees to. That's a dick move. So I, we looked it up and I'm like, oh, well, I'm good then. I can wear shorts. Nice. It just says, we're like, someone goes, what about bikinis? I'm like, well, it doesn't say you can't wear them. (laughs) (laughs) Except it's always the wrong people who wear them. We were talking about this the other day that in Hawaii, uh, Julia's little friend was saying that in certain parts they have the nude beaches. I don't know how this topic came up. Well, we were talking in Hawaii. Anyway, she was like, uh, uh, Brighton was talking about bringing his drone and they were like, well, don't go to the nude beaches. Anyway. The problem is, it's not the people you want to see at the nude beaches at the nude beaches. Oh, no, never. It's the old, fat 75-year-olds in their Speedos and the grandmas with their boobs hanging down to their knees. They're the ones that are naked on the beach. We were watching... What show were we watching? Uh, it was that... It was some weird show on Netflix where, like... It was like a post-apocalyptic show, but something, some event. Uh, they said a solar flare that knocked out all the satellites. That and all basically the ele- changed some electromagnetic field in the Earth that knocked out the satellites, knocked out the power, and made it so people couldn't sleep. It, it fucked up your brain. So, so they were go sleep. all going crazy essentially. Huh. But they're driving down the road on this way to this place, and all of a sudden they just come on what like. 20, 30 people just standing, standing there in the road naked. naked, and it was it was like all these just old, <laughs> fat, saggy people. Yeah, so gross. with the heat, we do have the white trash pool up. Yeah, that's awesome. I it's, think I think Chris, you might find Chris over there one day. Fuck, if it keeps up like well, this. we're, ha- we're going to have another barbecue here pretty quick. Well, good, you need to. And but the pool's up, and uh, so last year we got it up, and it seemed like it took three weeks to get it warm. Yeah, Not but I don't time. think last year when you put it up, it was fucking triple digits nope. for a month. No, nope. like, so like we put it up last week. The kid's been swimming for three days now, and it's pleasant. It's, like, not cold. We were going to try and have something next weekend, but I just don't think we can pull it off. So, uh, in addition to the heat, though, something that is important to note, um, we're getting close to fireworks season because July 4th is coming up. Don't do fireworks. But we're also in, like, a super extreme drought. Like, most of the state is under some of the most extreme drought we've ever seen. The governor's already announced that the lion's share of the state shut down for personal fireworks yeah and what what's like all all count any basically if it's not your own property you can't do fireworks so like drought conditions are are serious right now um a lot of the reservoirs are 
they're gone. <laughs> what, what reservoir? Uh, well, like, like Bear Lake is super low. Lake Powell? Lake, Lake Powell. I think when you guys go there in August, it's going to be Puddle Lake. Lake Puddle. Puddle. Lake Puddle. <laughs> Bear, Puddle. Bear Puddle Lake. Well, Lake, Lake Powell, like a lot of the docks are gone. What like were they, they were saying something about Lake Mead today, too. Yeah, Lake Mead is really, really low. Well, that's, it's... I mean, Lake Mead's in the middle of the desert, like quite literally. So yeah, the, gets, I mean, the western half—it's Hoover Dam, and that's at the bottom of the Colorado at that point. I think they said it was at the lowest it's been since it was built. Yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, in Oregon, they shut literally had to shut off water to communities because there was just no water left. So, yeah, my idiot neighbor across the street has his sprinklers running like pretty much twenty four seven. Report him. Yeah. You, so so now I'm so, not kidding. I it, so the state is under drought conditions. Uh, I would not be surprised if Riverton gets a secondary water shut off this summer. Surprise me. Um, Start collecting. You, you collect collect my garden is the only thing I'll Just water. Just drain your purple. Collect, <laughs> the pool. collect what? There's been no rain to collect rainwater illegally. I meant the, yeah, I I meant the, the irrigation water. The garden water. is the only thing that gets watered. The rest of the yard, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Like, up. I, that's make, I, make yellow beautiful. Yeah, I mean, that's I my, my grass it's going to go brown here real soon because it's been so hot and I just, I refuse to water too much. So except for the garden, just yeah. like you. So I water the garden. It gets watered. I got brown spots everywhere else, but obviously the prayers for rain last weekend didn't quite. I mean, it did out. rain one day after that, <laughs> but you know, well, it's always yeah. great when your governor asks you to pray for rain. <laughs> we really need you guys to pray for rain. We're not going to enact like, we're not going to do anything, yeah. but hopes and prayers. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this week we are joined by, uh, well, that's Jeremy's friend. I should let Jeremy introduce you. We are joined by Frank LeBaron. So he is one of my, I would almost say partners with how long we've worked together and how much we do. So he's in the construction industry. He builds homes. He does remodels. And I do the plans for them. Uh, Their company is so much fun to work with. So, And the company name is the Solid Group or Solid Group? Uh, Solid Group. Solid Group. Mm, Solid Group, Utah. You've actually got a handful of sub Companies. We do. We have a drywall division uh, named Solid uh, Drywall. We have uh, a company that does development, JLF Investments, and we have a restoration site, Solid Restoration. So we have a variety of uh, of companies. Our our construction is Solid Construction, but we pretty much put everything under Solid Group Utah to uh, encumber all of our entities. And then is Lillian Copper still? So Lillian Copper is our is our design side. And my my wife runs that uh, yeah. that side. There you go. And I do design work thing. for almost all of those entities. Not quite, but almost all of them. <laughs> so I'm busy. <laughs> so Frank, were you were you born here in Utah? Uh, actually, I was born in San Diego, California. I lived there till I was uh, two years old, and moved to Chihuahua, Mexico. That's uh, that's where I was uh, raised. I went to school there till I was 15 years old, and decided I wanted to get into the construction industry and make some money. My brother was doing drywall at the time. As a third generation drywaller, and it felt uh, felt uh, felt like time. I wanted a new truck, and I knew the paths and stuff <laughs> I had to take. And so, I came to Utah. My brother had landed a big contract down here, and uh, he offered me a job. And so I stayed and so, got my you, truck. Are you okay talking about your family situation? Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's it's it. Every time I hear about it, it just is so intriguing to me. <laughs> You'll know why. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you want, do you want me to start or go for it? <laughs> yeah. So, so my background, I come from FLDS background. Oh, wow. And, uh, so my father, he had, uh, three, three wives and there's a total of 31 siblings. Oh my goodness. 
Birthdays so, were awesome, weren't they? Birthdays, birthdays were big. They're I'm combined. an only child, so <laughs> yeah, ours ours a little more complex. Uh, uh, a wonderful upbringing, uh, raised in a in a small town uh, called Colonial Baron, which is uh, founded by my grandfather and named after our name there. And so it was really good. I mean, a super super rich uh, upbringing. I I really learned a lot. I mean, with uh, with a family that size, you learn to be <laughs> you learn to be frugal. You learn to be uh, competitive. You learn to argue and resolve, and so compromise. And so it was really good. You know, we grew up with uh, a lot of chores uh, all the time, and you know, I, I, cr- I credit my my father for my work ethic. And so, uh, you know, he he always instilled that into us. And you know, I tell my kids all the time uh, what what a everyday looked like for us down there and it's hard for them to even <laughs> comprehend even if they try to wrap their head around it and so uh, well they've visited they've been there before right they, so they, i mean they, they've seen it but, but i feel like living it is not the same right yeah it's like i can visit france but that doesn't make me french no. <laughs> well isn't isn't chihuahua the isn't the the there's a lot of flds out there right that is correct so and that's where that that crazy like assassination thing happened a few years ago, right? Where those gunmen opened fire on a car full of, of FLDS folks? That That is correct. In fact, uh, Ronita is my uh, first cousin. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, I think so, I remember you saying I, that. I told you guys this when it happened. I was just asking if it was your family. I said, yes, yeah, I had told these guys that, that was super Oh, yeah, that's crazy. Yes, that was part of That was his family that was involved. Yeah, yeah. and it was, it was really sad. And, uh, you know, Chihuahua's... Uh, you know, has really struggled with a tremendous amount of violence and the cartels and assassinations and things like that. Uh, it was uh, so my uncle Adrian, you see him quite a bit in the news. He's become quite an activist and determined to bring change and and not let his daughters uh, and his grandchildren's, you know, death be in vain. And so he has made a strong commitment is working extremely hard and and, you know, just, you know, he's as my brother who Brian, who's also helping him there to. I'll bring one that that awareness, and so that uh, so that this just doesn't become another number. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's an extreme violent place. It really is, and it is scary sometimes. My wife, you know, she's from she's from Utah, and it scares her quite a bit, you know. And it and it's it's crazy to take a situation like that, an assassination, an event like that, and to tell them, hey, we're gonna go. Visit my hometown, things, <laughs> right. will, be, things will be fine. I right? can it's, I can see where she would be like, ah, it, it, it I'm is, not it's feeling hard, that. <laughs> it's hard to sell that, and and it's unfortunate. But uh, but you know, we 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 learned to kind of navigate around situations. And sometimes you get caught in the crossfire, and and you know, maybe in the middle of a of a of a of a fight for territory, and you know, wrong place at the wrong time. And but other than that, you just you work you. Uh, stay out of their pathways and, you know, they, they got curfews and, and you, you learn to work around it, you know, unfortunately, you know, mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that we, we have to learn to work around it. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a tough thing. I mean, it's hard for people that live in America on a regular, you know, that have lived here their whole life to kind of imagine that, uh, because it, it's right next door. Yeah. The, how I mean, different life is. Just, Chihuahua's not far from the border. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it's on the border, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. And so, so Chihuahua borders, uh, Texas mm-hmm. and New Mexico. And we, most of the times we, we, when we head home, we head through, uh, through Deming, New Mexico, through Palomas. It's a smaller mm-hmm. border, uh, a little less, uh, hectic and 
a little less crime and uh, there's times that yeah, if we have to do some grocery shopping or bring something down you know from the US then we'll stop in El Paso and that'll launch us through Juarez which is intimidating that's, 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 that's my, the tough one my uh, my grandpa's only living brother still lives in El Paso my grandfather was brought up in in Marfa um because his family was all from across the border. I can't remember what town was it that they Brown. Yeah, that they traveled through when they when they immigrated across the border. But his house has been named a historical site for people crossing the border. So because it's a historical site, it can't be knocked down. So people stash food and water in there so that when people are crossing the border and they need water, they know that they can go there and get that. And so some of my cousins went down there and took pictures and brought them back. And I think my grandpa would be just like over the moon happy that that's because he just lived in like a two room keep take the animals in he was the oldest of 12 didn't graduate until he was like 50 something he went back to school and got his high school degree and stuff because that's just he just worked and got himself over here and went through the to the military and whatnot so when you said el paso i have a a warm spot in my heart for there because that's where i've always visited my cousins so yeah we, we used to love going to el paso i mean it was such a treat for us uh you know go from our hometown and and see the the amenities and and the abundance of options and choices and that you'd find at you know whether it's Walmart it was just such a treat <laughs> you know and we just kept thinking that the Americans were just the luckiest people in the world. <laughs> I haven't been there forever. Do they still put fringe in their trucks? Uh, have you have you been there in a while? It's been a while. <laughs> I remember my I'm uncle's sure truck do. literally had like the old seventies fringe that people would put in their houses, like the, like the tassels and mm-hmm. stuff. And you'd put it oh, around sure. the, like the inside of your truck. Yeah, <laughs> like his truck had that. Yeah, and so those uh, that's more of a decor, a little bit more central Mexico that they do that, and so you can spot them out, right? <laughs> you see that from a lot, a lot still from Durango. Hmm. And so you'll see that. It's, <laughs> so, so how did, how, I mean, how did you, I, I get how you came to Utah. Have you left the FLDS faith as a whole at this point? Or are you still practicing? Uh, no. So I, uh, so I converted to, to Christian. I started attending a church, uh, with my wife. Uh, her mother was going to a, a Christian church here in, uh, in Utah in Cottonwood. And, uh, my wife started going to a, a Beth Moore Bible study. And it, you know, I just, it was pretty cool just to watch her. And she just had a lot of stories, uh, a lot of good advice, uh, a lot of good scenarios. And Beth, Beth Moore is, is an amazing speaker, uh, a godly woman. And, you know, I just felt that I want, I wanted to kind of see it for myself. I was like, man, she's just got so much good advice and good scenarios and, and, and a lot to say. And so I started going to church with her and then, uh, attended church for about three years and then eventually get, got baptized. But, uh, so yeah, so I, I left, I left the LDS, the FLDS church in about, uh, 98 or so. Is the majority of your family still in the FLDS or are you kind of mixed? So, so kind of mixed. The majority still practice, uh, uh, the faith down, down in Mexico and, uh, some of them have, you know, become Jack Mormon is what you'll know. You know, they're, yeah. they're not super active, but, you know, but they still have their beliefs. I mean, it becomes, uh, culture and customs. And so a lot of them practice well, that way. I'd assume being down there the way you are, you're, you're kind of your own little island. I mean, you're there, but you're your own community. You're, I, I would assume you interact with others around you but not exactly i don't know we, we did you know and uh but we're always looked a little different and so we were 
we were the Americans, you know, in, in, in the, in a little oasis. And it, it was really fun. I always talk to, uh, my kids about, you know, sometimes a discrimination that would happen down there in, in our town. You know, we were, we were, we're Americans and, you know, perspective for most people around that we were just lucky people and rich. You know, and it could not be further from the truth. You know, we, we, there was no luck involved, I would say, in, in, in the start of our community. It was hard work. It was blood, sweat, and tears. And, uh, and just get the constant grind. Right. And so, you know, people still ask me today or, or tell me today or make a comment, luck, and I just don't believe in luck. I don't believe luck in, in, in any way. And not for what I see what things cost. Right. And so, so we would, uh, we'd always fight eventually with them. You know, we'd always throw rocks. I would tell them. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd call on the other side of the highway. And so our town, there was a road that split and it was kind of a neutral zone. You just didn't quite cross unless you wanted some trouble. Right. And sometimes we'd go in there, kind of egg them on, and we always knew we'd get in fights, and we'd take our bikes and, you know, just grab rocks and just start <laughs> swinging across, and that's how we determined. And sometimes kids would get hit in the head and cry, oh, no. and and there the kids were, that that ran away on their bikes are the ones that lost, and that's just how we. There were a lot of, I mean, when when all that stuff happened with the assassination of of you know a whole bunch of your family, apparently, um, there were a lot of reports about how relatively militarized. Uh, you know, the, the FLDS groups are out there because of, because of some of that, because of the violence and the, the, you know, persecution and persecution that, that they've, they've had to militarize themselves in some, in some aspects. Yeah. And so, so what we are is an extremely, extremely united community. Uh, I would say that I don't think there's anything that I've seen that shows that kind of camaraderie, that unity, that dedication and the support and, uh, and so what we've decided that we would protect ourselves. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of heroes in our towns and a lot of brave people. And, uh, so we, we've, you know, we've experienced that, uh, that we can't quite rely on the local law, right. you know, the local police, yeah. uh, the local sheriffs, it's because not really much local law enforcement. Yeah, there, there really <laughs> isn't. And the ones that are there, uh, their, their motive is greater than protecting the community, right? If they're not out to make a buck, they're out to cover for someone else. And so, so we decided that we would, uh, we would circle the wagons and we would always have each other's backs and, uh, and, and work hard to keep our town safe, our people safe. And, uh, I, th- I think, I mean, that's one thing that I would have to say, you know, about my community, about my, about my family is how impressed I am with the, with the unity, with the dedication and how quick they are to drop everything to assist and aid. And protect and support uh, their fellows. It's it's really interesting to hear you talk about um, you know growing up in that environment and your family, because a lot. I mean, honestly, a lot of especially especially young men that come out of FLDS communities have such hatred for what goes on there, and they're so angry with it and don't view them as like good people and family and, and, and wholesome. And some of that may be because they're coming out of like FLDS, you know, polygamists, uh, communities that are in like, you know, Kanab, Utah, <laughs> <laughs> which are probably a bit different, I would assume. Yeah. You know? A lot different. You know, I, I see some of these, uh, some of these events that, you know, they go on, you know, from the Warren Jeff side and, and, you know, our community was nothing like that. In fact, the admiration I have for, for my community, it's, it's, uh, it's second to none. A, we, we, we weren't, we weren't raised 
that radical. We were raised with choice, with options, and with, with strong direction. And, uh, we, we had the ability. I mean, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a community like that. And so what I, what I always loved is, is how flexible, you know, my community was, my father was. And I mean, the encouragement was always there, you know, attend church and, and I, and I agree with that. I think there's, there's just a lot of, of a lot of, uh, structure and, uh, things you can learn from an organized, uh, faith like that. I think there's, uh, there's a lot to take from it. And I think it helps instill good values and, uh, a good family, uh, ethics and, and practices. And I, and I admire that, but, uh, our community was, was nothing like, uh, what you see down here in, in Southern Utah. Right. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of got that impression a little bit, you know, when they, after that stuff happened, I read quite a bit about the, you know, the migration of some of the families down into Mexico and, and the things that, that they did. And it did seem like they were wholly different communities than what you found in like Colorado city. <laughs> yeah. And so th- there was no guilt. And so, you know, people, people practice plenty, uh, their faith that plenty of people that who are still very active in the, in the community and, and great people, you know, there's people who are not active in the community who are great people. And so, uh, I really, I really love my family and just love what they stand for and the examples that they've put. And you still have a great relationship with them, you know, having moved up here and an, an amazing or, relationship with them. Good. You know, we were, you know, I, I, I always tell my kids that we were a, fa- <clears throat> a family to be envied. I really thought, I thought we had a, an amazing relationship. My father did a good job, uh, working with us, teaching us what, uh, teamwork looked like, what unity looked like, uh, you know, he always, he always used examples like practice what you preach. And so he led by example and he was, uh, an easy mentor to follow. And so that was, uh, that was always good. That's and awesome. So speaking of family, your brother's doing drywall up here in, in Utah. So I have, uh, two brothers that do drywall here in Utah. So they're the ones that got you to come up. My brother Luis, he's the oldest of the family, oldest of the 31. That's my grandfather. Yeah, that's, that's a good so, name. My like, father's what's the age? Good name. What's the age gap? With 31 kids, man. Is it like 50 years? So well, the, does it need to be? There's multiple people having kids. Still, that's... Yeah, so the oldest, let's see, how old is Luis? Luis is uh, 46 years old. He just turned 46 years so old. He's that's the oldest. He's our age. Yeah. Yep. So who's the youngest? Uh, the youngest, his name is Jorgito. His name is Jorge. And he's, uh, my father's, uh, fourth wife. And so he's, uh. Is he brand new? Uh, no, he, I think he's about 10 years old. Okay. So yeah. 10 to 46. Yeah. So, so there's a big spread. 36 years. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. That's wild. That's and I, awesome. I mean, I would assume like you're not super close with Jorgito. <laughs> so not, not, not as much, you know, so we, <laughs> I've moved, uh, since to, to Utah and he's, uh, he's living in Mexico and so we don't see each other as much. You know, I, I should be getting down there a little bit more and get to know him a little better. But he's a, he's a great kid. And, you know, it's fun to watch my father, you know, have this kind of time to invest with, with the Jorge, not as much competition, right? And so, right. yeah, for real. You know, I, I, I admire my dad's, uh, his patience and his tolerance, uh, and trying to, you know, one, still work, provide, uh, coach, guide, and, you know, with so many different needs. And so that's, a lot that's of tough. Kids. So yeah. is he, is he in his seventies? So he is 66 years old. 66, okay. So he's a young and still. Yeah. A, str- a strong man, <laughs> a German man. That is, that is still fairly young. 
I mean, is. I can't imagine being 66 and having a 10 year old. Good for him. Uh, hard worker. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's still, still leads by example. He's still, you know, he still lives by what, uh, what his, his sayings were practically preached. And so he's still first one up and, you know, last one out. And so still, still grinding hard. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so you come up here to Utah. How old were you when you came up here to Utah? So I, the first time I came up, I was 13 and my, my mother, so, in in our community, it's pretty common to leave your town around age fourteen or fifteen and and go work, and you know, and then by age sixteen, buy your truck, by age seventeen, be married, right? And that's kind of the path. <laughs> and so I came at age uh, thirteen, and I liked working a lot. And my goal was to work to buy my mom a washer and dryer, and that was kind of my my goal. And so I, my backup site, why Utah? So my brother had landed here. So my brother moved from from Florida from Miami. And at the time, he landed a big project here in uh, in Salt Lake off of Highland Drive. And he he moved here and needed some help. And so I, we'd always come up for the summer, and I came to work with him. And I and I liked it. And I see I seen that there was you know money to be made. And uh, so I wanted to stay and work. But he he thought I was a little too young. I didn't think I was too young. And he wanted me to continue to go to school. And he signed me up for, we were living in Sandy at the time, signed me up for East Mountain High School, a middle school, and I didn't want to go at all. And <laughs> one of the main reasons I didn't want to go because he wanted me to ride a bike. And I thought that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I had been driving since age eight. And, yeah. uh, I could back up a, a, a trailer and load cattle. I mean, so it, it just didn't quite make sense to me why I couldn't take one of the work trucks. <laughs> and he, and it wasn't far. I mean, I can go through back roads. I thought I had to figure it out. And he wasn't okay with that. I mean, he knew that he I'd be in trouble. Get arrested. <laughs> Even though he knew I could handle it. And so I went to, to East Mom for about three days and I didn't like, I came from a small town. You know, I was, uh, I was number one, just about everything in, in small town in here. I just couldn't even make the basketball team. This, <laughs> this place sucks, you know. Big fish in a small pond. Yep. Spanish being my first language. And so the, the reading was a little, a little oh, tougher yeah. for me. You know, they would ask who read so many words, who made so many pages. My hand never came up, right? I just couldn't quite keep up. And so I didn't like it. I told him I wanted to, to work instead and, he told me that he'd rather me just go back and finish and when I'm done with high school to come back and work. So I went back to Mexico and finished that year out, started uh, seventh grade. And so were you home taught or was there a school? School. Slug- and so in, in, our, in our community, we have a private school and probably 97% were relatives. <laughs> right. So, the so teachers, mostly family, maybe a few yep. other And people. so we went, uh, we went to private school uh, till sixth grade. And uh, we started off, you know, the first three years. So first, second, and third were all English and then Spanish after that. Uh, and so then I had went to, so then there was uh, federal schools or government schools. And I, I went to, I started seventh grade and realized that I wanted to go work. And I had a good friend that, you know, was a couple years older than me and he had moved to, to Utah's working as well. And I called my brother and I told him, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm ready to go work. And he wanted to finish school. I mean, I, I, I look back and I wish I would have, but you know, he's giving me his good older brother advice, even though he could use the help. And I told him, listen, if I can't go work with you, then, then I'm going to go work with my friend. And so he thought, well, if you're to come, out here to the U.S. and I'd rather 
you know, you have to keep an eye on you. What keep did, an eye on you. What did your moms and dad think about all that? <laughs> Nat- natural paths. You know, it was it wasn't unheard of. And oh, so, okay. I mean, they for there's very few in our community that would graduate with a high school diploma. So it wasn't it wasn't out it was it wasn't out of the normal. I mean, it was very common to to be working in the U.S. at age 15, at age 16, you know, run your own crews and and drive around. And so, I moved here at a you know, I was just about 15 years old to so move here, just about 14. A couple of days later, I was 15 and just started started working hard. And so. So uh, I'm curious how you go from drywalling. Like, how long did it take from drywalling to, you know, beginning to form your own companies and your own conglomerate? Because now being, you know, a, a, a general contractor and having all those subsidiaries under you, like, that's a. That's a pretty massive difference from just being a 15-year-old kid drywalling. Yeah, and so so I, I, I worked uh, extremely hard for my brother, uh, ran his crews. You know, age 16, I I had my own crew. Essentially, we, we called a company, right? So I had I had four guys uh, working for me, and by then I was piece rate. So, you know, I 18-hour days were, were typical. I, you know, I worked really hard. I, you know, I, had, I was ambitious, had big goals, and I, and I knew that uh, – I could put in 18 hour days, day in and day out and get to those goals probably a little quicker. And, uh, so I did drywall for a long time, but I've always loved the construction industry. Uh, I, I, at one point I ran probably a crew of probably about 80 guys. And so we had multiple vans just working all over the place. And, uh, but I, I like the construction side of things. I, I realized that, you know, every time we did remodels or anything like that, that, the homeowners eventually would just gravitate to me and help them, you know, communicate or articulate, uh, some of the questions to their, their own subs, me being a drywall side of things, right? Uh, I, I see them that many times we show up at remodels, they weren't ready. There wasn't a foreman on site. There was no direction. You know, homeowners were always caught without, you know, that management that they had paid for. And I seen a need and, uh, we, so I, I, I started doing some smaller remodels. Uh, 08 came around and forced, you know, a lot of people huh. to be, you know, get creative and diversify. And at the time we, uh, we purchased some flip homes and that's kind of what got me into the construction industry. Started flipping homes and we realized that we were pretty damn good at it and we were fast and we had good vision and we had really good, uh, connections we had a strong strong pool in the workforce and we started flipping homes a little bit more and uh we would get constant praises from our from agents and saying hey your work is is so good you know you're not your typical flipper we we put a lot of pride in 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 what we did i was gonna ask because i think i'm pretty sure this house was flipped at one point (laughs) i know this house is So, I mean, like, it's, it's, cause a lot, when people think about people that flip houses, you see people that come in and half ass a bunch of stuff. Like, for instance, we have a really great back patio that was clearly an addition, but when we moved in, I had to immediately have roofers come in and fix what was basically they did two different slopes down into a point, like along the garage line. And they didn't do a proper cricketing system. They just threw a bunch of roofing tar up there. So we just had like water that would sheet down on so the outside. So you walk out the back door, just you're under a roof and it was still raining on you. It yeah, it's, it's really crazy. And and that's what we're seeing, right? There's just a huge gap. You know, uh, 
one thing we've always been mindful of is the end user. And so we, we always work, we get up and our, and our, our motive is that end user. And that's how we, we look at things. And so we reverse engineer everything from there. And, you know, we've, uh, we've been victims of that people cutting corners and that's uh that's a tough thing and sometimes it always ends up costing more later right it, it really does and so we've we we've always put a lot of pride in in what we do so and the, we're super intentional in what we do and it uh, some of the projects where the guys get a little overzealous with replacing things like in mill creek yeah and so where <laughs> <laughs> he did a too good of a job and it came back and bit us <laughs> yeah and so so we're doing a project, a job uh, Jeremy's referring to as a project in, in Mill Creek. The Hoarder House. I told him about the Hoarder oh, House. The Hoarder House. <laughs> and so this thing turned out amazing, but it came with a, with, with a good uh, learning curve. And, you know, that, that's what makes experts, right? And so we learned a good lesson out of that. And so it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a waste of time. Uh, people could have told me about it, but experiencing firsthand, you realize how tough things are. And so uh, we were doing an addition on it, and... The home as it sits was encroaching on most setbacks in every direction. And you can apply, there's a, in most cities, they have variances or differences you can apply for like an inline addition. And that's what we're doing. In order to do that, you have to sustain a certain amount of the structure. I don't remember if it was like 25% of the time. Something the original house has to remain intact. And so we have an, an amazing project manager there who... We love you, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> and he was running this one here and... We were specific, you know, demo these walls, demo these, make sure you keep these, because if we demo too much, then we'll be set back to today's setbacks and standards, and now the home won't won't fit. And and even though he left those walls, but he started removing some two-by-fours, there was a lot of dry rot. It was the right thing to do. But because of that, we had a, a superhero inspector come in and, um. and realize, hey, you demo a little more than the threshold. You're about 22%. And it, we're like, you got to be kidding me. And, but he wasn't kidding. And so immediately, uh, we got red tagged and they wanted us to, uh, demo the whole house down and bring it to current. And we fought that, you know, it took us about three months, a lot of time when we ended up beating it. By the time they, they said that we were almost done. And the whole new addition was on. I mean, the house was almost. They just wanted you to lose all that. Done money. on the inside. I mean, it was framed. It was roof. The new roof. Everything. You probably won't say this, but I fucking hate inspectors. I'm dealing with a <laughs> shitty problem with one right now. With our, we just had our furnace replaced, and the guy that inspected it, because they always got to find something. Yeah, inspectors can be tough. You know, uh, I I think uh, I think their intentions are always right. And I, and I do think, and you can always tell the difference. You get somebody that's, you know, that hasn't, hasn't been in the industry long enough. I mean, they are just calling everything. They're, Those they're fresh guys. They're, they're, like, they're just not flexible violation, and violation, things violation. super, super <laughs> literal. And they're just not willing to, to work with you. And that makes it extremely difficult. And uh, again, like anything, there's a compromise and there's a level of trust. And, you know, we've been able to develop a good relationship with some inspectors and, and good trust. Uh, but I feel like today's, Today's world's a little different. I think the trust is gone. <laughs> I think people are tired, people are burned, and nobody has a good attitude. And so, oh, yeah. well, building building right now in today's world is a little tough. Well, I, I I mean that's a good that's a good segue into building today because I mean we've we've done a ton of stuff on the house in the last couple of years because we made a we made a decision we're staying here we're not going to try and move you know we've. We're going to stay here till we can't walk up and down the stairs. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so we decided we're going to stay here. Let's put some stuff into the house. So, but even as we were doing it over the last six months, eight months that we did the last round of renovations, like 
the cost of everything just keeps going up and up and up. And the amount of building that's taking place in the county, uh, in particular in Salt Lake County, is just going up and up and up. Uh, and like to the point Jeremy was telling me today, um, you can't get floor joists right now. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it's not even so much the cost is availability that becomes yeah. difficult. And, uh, I think we've, we've done more volume. We've done more work, uh, years past than we have right now. Uh, I think it just becomes an availability thing and then the cost because there's, there's plenty of people who are willing to afford it, but we just, it just can't be produced. Yeah. Well, it was nice. We, we just had the house restuccoed and we used, um, somebody at, at Jeremy's guidance and we, we were refinancing and it wasn't, we weren't going to be able to do it until January. And I'm like, crap, all those costs are going to go up. And he's like, I said, if we give you half the money now, cause I trusted him because he works with Jeremy. I'm like, can we do it? He's like, yeah, because I can get the stuff that I need now instead of in the future. Yeah. yeah. So we were able to get all the stucco put on this year at 2020 prices, <laughs> which saved us a ton of money. And we still got exactly what we wanted. And that, that is the problem with some clients. They have all the money in the world. But if it isn't there, it isn't there. It really doesn't matter yeah. if you've got the money. Yep. If you can't get it. Or things like windows. I'll have clients who, who house is almost done. They decided to change out a window. The window's eight weeks out. And they're like, well, what if we pay them an extra three or $400? doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It is not it's there. How long it, it is takes going to, get to take there. eight weeks to get that window. Yeah, it becomes difficult. And so... If you're willing to to work hard and get creative, you're you're still going to be fine. And we seem to be doing really well. And you know, administrative wise, we're exhausted. It takes uh, an entire team to hunt down all the moving parts before we uh, we'd go through some of our top vendors, and they were able to produce most everything for you know for that home and, and their building with their building supplies. But today we have to call in favors. We have to drive. I mean, it's not uncommon to drive to uh twin falls or to vegas or st george really? or to vernal wow. uh, again if you're willing to put the work in it i mean you, you can look at it and say this sucks things shouldn't be this so way you're, you're going four five six hours out of the area to pick up supplies to do some of these that is correct well yeah. think about this okay so we i work in an insurance agency and we had a building catch fire a year ago march and there's another building that's that I drive past when I take our dog to day camp Just that caught fire that. right around the same time. They are not done. They're, they're just not between COVID happening and shutting things down between supplies and and remodeling costs. Like I'm I'm figuring out these costs and I'm like, at this point, it's three hundred and fifty six dollars a square foot. <laughs> this apartment has cost them right now because of that and because their insurance renewed and they can't have it it's it, the two buildings that burned are vacant we had to get a builder's risk on those two and put regular insurance on the others two and then the insurance company was like well the whole property's worth this much and it needs to be valued i'm like yeah if you combine it it's actually more than what you're asking but they wouldn't accept it so we had to increase the value like it's just all because like they just like it's you just, just can't get the stuff. It's hard. It's take. It's taking longer to get anything. It's taking longer to get things put up. Things are just more expensive than they were when they started the project a year and a half ago. Like it's it's insane. And we've been going through and changing all of their policies to have like twenty four months of business income loss because they're like clearly we need <laughs> to have more time. Yeah, we're, we find ourselves in strange times. You know this uh, this COVID and. 
this so-called shortage of everything has changed the way business is done entirely. I mean, it, it, it has revolutionized the way. And if you're, if you're able to, to pivot quick enough, uh, you're going to, you're going to be fine. But if you want to be stubborn and just say that things shouldn't be this way, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be in trouble. And if you're willing to value engineer things, uh, you know, Jeremy's going to start getting a lot of requests. If he's doing multi-housing right now, one thing that's not available is called shaft wall. And that's a fire assembly that goes between party walls. And that's nowhere to be found. It doesn't matter how much money you want to spend at it. It doesn't yeah, matter some of those things. where you want to drive. It's just not available. And so engineers, architects are having to make changes to get a different uh, firewall assembly and, and still meet the, the sound requirements. Uh, and those are things, you know, anything that's an engineered wood is going to continue to skyrocket. <laughs> yeah. And so you're better off, like, for instance, the floor joists, which Jeremy was talking about. Those are extremely pricey. It's We're going to be in a world where uh, uh, floor trusses are going to be the most cost-effective yeah. available thing because dimensional lumber is has sustained and it's actually, you know, rumors are it's coming down. So. So that's what we're going to be doing our floors with now. And so, again, it's going to take a lot of creative work, but it can be done. You just have to be willing to. Well, and that's the thing is there's a lot of people who aren't. They're stuck in their ways, and this is the way I've always done it, and they don't want it. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest or the trees in reality. Like you, 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 You tell people to think outside the box, but it's really hard to step back and realize, okay, I really have to think of a new way to to do this. I think that's one thing I like about working with you and the team. There's enough different people with good ideas that typically between the group, we can solve most problems. I wouldn't say every single problem, but most problems when come up with solutions and relatively quickly. Yeah. yeah. And so, so my upbringing, you know, there was, uh, the way we always looked at problems that it was an opportunity, right? That's how we always looked at it. You know, yeah, we call them oppa threats <laughs> in our office. <laughs> and so we, we always thought, uh, that, you know, a, a problem that was presented, we, we were very aware that there was a solution to it. And so what we'd have to do is take a step back and look for the solution as you continue to move forward and not get distracted and discouraged with this can't be done. Right. It just has to be done a different way. Right. And that's, that's, that's key. And that's, like I said, that's one thing that I really like about working with you and your team. We run into to walls all the time. And the question isn't, well, we're done. It's okay. How do we get around it or under it or over it? Or, and we find solutions. We've done some really amazing projects that a lot of people wouldn't even touch. Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> and I would, I would say remodels is that's, that's my favorite thing, right? So you get a brand new home. It's, it's an open canvas. You can pretty much, it's free. You can do everything as long as you fit in the boundaries and a remodel, you got a shell and you got these requests and these dreams and these ideas that have to fit in these parameters. And I love the opportunity to brainstorm and come up with creative ways. And, you know, when we knock it out of the park, it's super satisfying. I like that you call them remodels now. Cause I don't, I've seen the houses that you quote unquote flip. They're not flipped. <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah, they're we, not, they're not what you would consider a traditional the, flip. The U of U one is one that I'm super proud oh, of. Man, and that I've, thing's I've showed these guys the pictures and I've told them the stories and the Lord of the Flies room upstairs, <laughs> just all the crazy stuff with that one. But, but yeah, those are the kinds of things that, that uh, not everything is that grandiose, but a lot of them are just so complicated that nobody else wants to touch it. Yeah, and, and that's the arena I like to be in. I like to uh, put myself in an arena where where you have to be creative and you're, you're forced uh, to be innovative. And I, I, I find that my competition is less there. Yeah, well, unlike the hoarder house, yep. no one else would touch that thing. 
but look at it now. It is. The, I don't know if I would have wanted to touch it just to clean it out. <laughs> and I saw some of those pictures. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the way I look at it, you know, people will look at it as a mountain of stuff. And I think it's two days of work. Yeah. And so, and that, that's, how, that's how I look at it. And now it's the most amazing house in that entire subdivision. I mean, you, you wouldn't even, well, you wouldn't even know it's the same house. But it's the most sought after house, and it was. It's twenty five percent, twenty two percent the same house. <laughs> yeah, as we, house. yeah, we we violated that, and that was that was a, that was a tough thing, you know. It uh, it was the biggest piece of shit we've ever seen before we started. <laughs> it, it was really tough, you know. But we never we never we never got discouraged. None of us heart, you know. We we you know we 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 pride ourselves on our partners. You know, Jeremy's always been a great partner to us, and we we have some very creative uh, uh, counsel on our side was able to work with us and look into the the parameters and boundaries of the city. And, and uh, we end up overturning that and beating them on it. They put us through hell, but uh, we got it. Another one of my so. favorites is the Harriman house where they wouldn't let us move it. So we tore down the entire house except for one foundation wall and then built this whole new house over the top of it. It was a remodel because we kept that original wall. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so, so that one. But we found creative ways to get around what the city threw at us and where other people would just throw up their hands and walk away. You know, sometimes you wonder, you're like, we're doing the right thing, but yeah. then you, you wrap it up and, 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 you know, there's a, there's a sense of satisfaction and gives you the energy to take the next one on. And so. So is that, I mean, is that primarily what you guys are doing at this point is all your stuff is remodels? Are you doing a whole bunch of, are you doing new stuff for people? So we're doing a lot of new stuff. And so we, we do a, we, we specialize in high end re- renovations and custom homes. And anything custom, that, that's, that's where we shine. And right now we're, we got uh, several big custom homes. You know, we got a project up in, uh, St. George that we're super proud of. We called Copper Rock. We got some really. Yeah, those are the ones I've showed these guys some of the Really beautiful homes on there. And, you know, with Jeremy's help, we were able to develop, uh, a masterpiece. I, I think we stand out incredibly. We're super proud of it. And, uh, we got some extra lots there in St. George. And so, so we're excited for the opportunity, uh, to, to see what, show what we can do to Southern Utah there and, and take our expertise. And so, to answer your question, it's, it's custom everything. So even the remodels we do, so like, uh, what is the one downtown? Uh, right across from the Temple Square. Oh, uh, Richard's Court. Richard's Court. So tell them about that one. Yeah, so that one was, was incredible. <laughs> uh, we, we had a client that, that approached this, and it started off with a small water leak, and it was a restoration, uh, project, and the client said, hey, this might fit in your, your expertise. These guys want to do somewhat of a remodel on this, and our scope is only replacing these floors that were damaged. And we got to meet the client and he seemed pretty eager to get it going. And he thought, well, what the hell? If I'm already going to be not living here and I have to do this remodel, I'll just buy a unit next door, right? <laughs> just- $2.2 million later, right? So now he says, I want to combine these two condos into one. <laughs> and so we, we met with him and, you know, within, within 10 minutes, you know, I gave him some, some options that we can put this big, giant 15 foot pocket door in here you can open and close it and the guy was sold and so we worked on it you know i'll share you guys that uh we you know we got some really good footage on that one it was an amazing project uh his gold bathroom modern the, the guy was absolutely into <laughs> into gold and what was really good about that one is that he was uh he had expensive taste and he he was willing to pay what it took for that and so that makes it that makes it easy to to yeah. hit a Hit a project like that, you know. We gave them good prices, and it looks incredible. Overlooks the temple there in downtown. It, it it is it is amazing. It's got those from Temple Square. It's got the rounded windows, and they it, it's a Christmas like a bow window or just great big rounded windows. Oh wow! Because it's on a on a on a corner. So 
pretty close to CD Creek there. And, and we got some pretty cool things. Like there is a, there's a specific art piece. I'll show you guys that. You can find it on our website there. Uh, it's this medallion that he wanted and he, he wanted it to be back uh, lit and kind of flash through and wanted, wanted blues. And we end up finding this color called Lapis Azul. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, mined in Afghanistan. And it was like, you know, I, th- I think that, you know, to, to make that, it was like 13 grand just to make all of that specific thing. It had to be hand cut. And so we had a local artist help us with that who was specialized in mosaic. And we took this project to her and she helped us out with that. And it, it was incredible. But everyone was just hands on, just like that. That's so crazy. It's impressive. That's great. Yeah, so that, yeah. that, that's, that's one of the remodels we did. Yeah. And so, so we do some cool things. You know, we're super fortunate. You know, we got some really good clients that, uh, that trust us and, you know, work side by side with us. And we got a, an amazing design team. My, my wife kind of heads that up there and she's, she's got a team underneath her. And so it's, it's, uh, it's incredible. We're super fortunate. We're, we're great. We're, very fortunate for some of the opportunities we've had for the projects we've been involved in. Got some really fun projects. Yeah, yeah we really complicated like it. but fun. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. That's really cool. Um, so your your all of your subsidiaries do they really only work for solid or do you have them like your drywall company doing drywall for other? So things? we we used to do drywall uh, a lot of subcontracting, but the right now we have enough work for ourselves. We just kind of keep it in house, and there's still there's still some projects that we do where just solid drywall is involved in and not solid construction. Uh, ideally, we we like to kind of keep it all in house and full circle, and we have the, kind of the same workforce that you know we we stay healthy. You know we got uh, you know we always look at it as kind of the major leagues and minor leagues. Right, you have the Anaheim Angels, who are the major leagues, and you got the 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 bees here the minor leagues and so so we we very much do that and so we circle our our team all the way through and you know we're able to have a strong workforce at any given time and capitalize on on good projects and have the workforce and self perform them you know we we're able to control the outcome control the the schedule uh with our own own guys and we don't have to worry about somebody being months out and not be able to deliver for these these clients and so well, that goes back to what you were saying why you kind of got into the whole gc side of the world is because even as a drywaller you are running into those issues all the time where you're a sub for a project that there's no leadership on it, it is and it becomes a hostage situation and and the you know the the upsetting thing about it there, there's a there's a client that's been told x and is committed to X and many times you just see them, they were exhausted. And the most common thing in a remodel is to, is a homeowner to eventually take the reins. And that was, that's a lot of times when we would get involved when they'd be like, Hey, would you mind help me finish this project? We're like, well, we're just drywallers, right? But they're like, but you seem to be the only one that's here on time and, <laughs> and responsible, right? And so I said, well, I know a guy. And so it kind of, kind of worked that way. And so a lot of clients would eventually just, you know, take the reins and say, I need your help to, to get through this project. Yeah, that's why uh, when we have stuff done, I work, there's there's companies I've worked with before that I know are good and anyone else, I pretty much go to Jeremy. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't care if it takes a few months longer or like we did the dry, we did the stucco in the off season. Like, I, I just want a contractor. I know it's not going to be crappy that's going to show up, that's going to do a good job, you know? Yeah, and many times, you know, and, and I, I feel like sometimes, uh, oftentimes see contractors get a bed wrapped, you know, that they're, they're bad contractors, but contractors rely on subcontractors and subcontractors rely on, on employees, right? And it, there's just so many moving parts. And, uh, most people think that we're crazy because we self-perform, but I, I think that's, a, I'm I kind of a control freak. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of work to self-perform. 
uh, because you have to, one, you, you control the responsibility. You're responsible for them being busy having to work and you can't just turn it off like a switch. You know, a regular general contractor who subcontracts everything, he can just say, Oh, we don't have work this week. And that's that for us. We can't, we, we've got to always produce, perform. And, uh, because you've got families, you've got guys who are depend on you to feed their family. Absolutely. Right. You know, a lot of people depend on that. And we've, we've been extremely fortunate to have just a, an amazing group of guys, hard, hard workers. You know, they, they see they were super invested in them that, uh, you know, their, their well-being, their financial status. I told them about the Christmas parties. They, they know. <laughs> I mean, we were at one of the, one of the real games. Real games. So, so I mean, that, that's another thing that you do that's different than a lot of people is you do take an interest in your team and you do things for, and you don't have to, but it, it, it goes that extra mile to show your people that you appreciate them, you care about them, and you want them to be there as a family, not just a job nine to five. Part of the family, which I've always really found impressive about working with you and Julia. Yeah, and so so what we've uh, what we've always determined, you know, my Julia, who's my wife, and is that what was important to us is the culture, right? the culture that we produce, uh, uh, the example that that we put there, and we we always want our workers, our friends, our partners, our our uh, our vendors to understand that we're super invested with them because we want them to know that there's going to be good times and bad times. And if we're invested in them, then they join us and they can see sometimes that we're struggling, we're stressed and they're just, they man up and they're ready to go and make a difference. And so anytime we have a really successful project, they know it. And so it's important to us to say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to have a party. We're, we're going to have an event. You know, we, we always compensate and bonus our friends. And there's, there's times where some of the workers are asked more than we probably should. You know, there's, there's times we bump into emergencies, whether it's a water flood and these guys are just ready to go, you know, sometimes working until 10 o'clock at night. And so for me, it's extremely important to compensate them. Or you've uh, sent guys to Idaho at 10 o'clock at night. They're heading to Idaho for projects. We, we got a, we got a, we got a very, very demanding client that uh, <laughs> he's got, uh, they own several hotels, uh, throughout the country and they all need maintenance and they all have, uh, emergencies and needs and there's times, I mean, he's, we're his special forces. He says, Hey, I need some guys up there tomorrow at six in the morning, right? And that's in some valley or, <laughs> or in San Diego. And, and then we, the ask comes and we talk to the guys. And so for us, it's always important that, uh, that they're compensated. You know, when there's a slow time that their families are sent out to eat or on a vacation, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we always have miles, or, you know, airline, just always compensate them so they never ever feel like, Hey, we, we know we, we recognize and we notice and there's times that it, 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 the recognition may not come right away, but they've been with it long enough. They know that, Hey, we'll be, we're, they're going to take care of us. Well, that's just it. Like when you treat your, your employees like family and you treat them incredibly well, they perform for you when you need it. Uh, they, they, you know, don't complain a whole lot and they're really good workers because they have, there's like a there's like a feeling of of ownership in what they're doing. I was doing. just going to say that they care about what they're doing. So even if it is a rush or late, they put the same effort into it because they care. And it's a very symbiotic relationship because they care and then they're rewarded for caring and being a family. You keep the same people over a long period of time and you have, they, they, they get ingrained in the way you do things and how quick you move and, and, and instead of the expectations. Yeah. And so instead of, you know, random new dude that's not ingrained in all that, you have, you know what you're going to get out of them. Yeah. 
absolutely. And so for us, we have a, you know, we have a saying and much of our, uh, shirts that says power by solid. And, and, and we look at that and the guys, my main goal was to always for it to be, it's about solid. It's not about Frank. And so that they're invested in solid and they are solid and that's what represents them. That's what takes care of them. That's what provides. And, and they really like it. They feel, they feel super connected. And, uh, you know, we, one thing's important to me is, is, is generosity. And I always talk to my kids that never pass up an opportunity to be generous, you know, and, uh, and, you know, we, it's important because, Fair, I think most people that becomes kind of a legal thing, right? Or, you know, is this fair? <laughs> and you know, we we like to not leave it just fair. I think fair is expected of a person, but it, it, it's to be generous, right? And so we like to be generous with our with our partners, with our friends. Uh, well, it shows. I mean, you you look at our 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 St. George job. We got the news that we were going to have it. We came up with that design in like a week and a half. Uh-huh. We went down. We presented it. We were awarded the project. Less than a month later, we were putting footings in the ground. Mm-hmm. And so they, the, the, the contractor was super impressed. And so what we did is we, we, we know the team knew we had this big opportunity. And I said, Hey, we got a tall task. This guy said, if we can design a sexy home, that, that's his word. He says, if it's sexy, right? <laughs> and so, and, and man, we, we sure designed a sexy home and he was impressed. Uh, he came in and we just found an inspiration off Pinterest and kind of ran with it. I said, Hey, Jeremy, this guy's going to be here in two days. I need, I need some elevations, you know, and I said, and, and you'll make these, these changes. And we worked hard and he liked it and came to interview us and looked at some of our projects and was super impressed. And he said, Hey, uh, I'd like you guys to help me on these projects and awarded those projects to us. And so we felt very honored to be part of it. And so we made a big deal because it was, uh, it was a lot of the team that was stressful at the office, you know, because we already had many deadlines and many projects. And on top of that, we had this one that took precedence. And so, uh, what we did is we just said, Hey, let's go to the, Pray to Homes at the time. Pray to Homes was coming up, and uh, and we decided to get a a big uh, nightly rental, big Airbnb pools, and we brought you know a, a chef for the team, just everybody to feel really good about it, and just just so that they know that you know the the, the wealth is uh is it's is given right, it's split up amongst the team, and so everybody's a beneficiary of a of a successful project. Well, you know, a pay a paycheck is important. But the other things are what make people. That's why people stay. Feel more yeah. important. Yeah. I mean, yes, the money is is the why do you have a job? You got to have the money. But when they feel like they're part of a team, when they feel like their input means something, and when they go out of their way, because nobody had to go down to St. George, but most all of us went, it was worth it. Yeah, you know. I- and look at what look at what's come off it. I mean, we've got two amazing homes down there, getting ready for a third. So, yeah, but everybody feels a, a part of it. Most of the team feels a part of it. Not just, oh, yeah, I worked on that. I think most of the team feels like, well, I I helped with that, and I took care of this, and this is my house as much as everybody else's. Yeah, and so and, and that was really cool. And so for us, that's uh, that's one thing that we just absolutely pride ourselves in is is the is to include the team, you know, make it about a team effort, you know, knowing that, uh, that nothing is possible without – Without a team effort on that, and I feel like you brought your Chihuahua family up here. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like you Recreated created it. that same. Like they might not be They might not be geographically. Your I have your back. You're my community. Here's our border, and we're gonna go throw rocks at the bad guys. But I feel like you <laughs> did that here. Like you, you found the people. You chose them for your family, and 
now you take care of them just like you Chihuahua did your family. Absolutely. That might be a good name for this show, Chihuahua I, I just, every, the whole time you've been talking, it feels like you were like, yeah, I just created Chihuahua up here. <laughs> we really like it. You know, my kids absolutely love it. And, and, and that's one thing that I would have to say, uh, one of my one of my favorite things about my upbringing was the example of that unity of that camaraderie of that team effort you know we come from extremely humble beginnings you know my great grandfather went down to mexico in the uh like 1922 and started out on a on a house farm and so it it took uh took a lot of effort to to grow from there you know they did kind of the the bigger better you know i see, i see that game here you know my kids play that you know somebody knock on the on the door they'll bring them out and do and they walk out with a lamp and kind of just a bigger and better and our, our 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 beginning started that way you know we you know we we had cows we did cheese we traded for corn and that's just that's just how it worked, but it was an absolute team effort. Everybody had to contribute. You know, people would, would get on a bus and travel for, you know, seemed like two days to go bring different corns and, and or, or crops so that we can plant. And that, that's how it started. And it was always, always about that team effort. So, well, Frank, you've, you've made a home. You've definitely planted some solid roots here in the city of Utah. <laughs> so the last question that we're going to ask, and then we'll, we'll, uh, let people figure out how to get a hold of you. Um, what's something, uh, or what's the most interesting or unique thing that you've discovered about Utah? Uh, the work, uh, you know, the most interesting thing is that how capable this place is. You know, we, uh, I go to some other states and I just don't feel like there's a lot of competition there. <laughs> and so, our, our original, uh, we originally come from the state of Utah. We're from the Hurricane Farmington Murray area, right? This is where my family originally was from. And so there's a lot of us here that, that work ethic, that competition, that capable individual is, it's right here. And so one of the most interesting I think I thought here in Utah was how capable everybody is here. How, you know, that work ethic, it's, it's hard to stand out in reality a lot of times here because it's just such, the work ethic is impressive. But if you went to like Oklahoma, you'd stand out. <laughs> I, I think we would stand out. I think I think we'd stand out. They think these guys, this guy's a flipping rock star. Oklahoma is just okay. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's nothing spectacular. <laughs> well, Frank, thanks for thanks for uh, joining us. It's been uh, it's been a, a pleasure talking to you. If if people do want to do like a serious renovation or a new build with you guys, and I. Look, I don't want to put this out there for everyone because these guys make like cra- I mean, you heard what some of the homes were. <laughs> <laughs> but these guys do. I, I have yet to see a project that wasn't just absolutely jaw-dropping, amazing uh, that Jeremy has shown me. And you've had a ton of stuff in Parade to Homes, right? Well, we haven't done Parade to Homes yet. So oh, you that's, guys, the, that's the Jane George one's the first one. So we we there's a there's a path, and we're trying to work on it. It's like a five year. Waiting list. We're we're trying to find a way if there's a shortcut, even though everything we do is is trade home quality. Yeah. I mean, so there's there's nothing that we do that doesn't meet the criteria in every level or or exceed it. Well, and you've already got an architect that's been in Parade Homes. I don't even know how many nine, times I think now. Had nine homes. We, we rely a lot on on Jeremy and his expertise to get us there. <laughs> and so. Dude, he does a lot of stuff, but yeah. I I've seen. Jeremy shares more pictures of your guys' projects than any other thing that he does. 
and they're they're all amazing. They're all absolutely stunning. And we got some really cool things coming up. Really cool things. We're super proud of. You know, we're we got some projects uh, a little more unique than we've had in the past, and so we're 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 ecstatic. I mean, the future is incredible. And to be clear, it's going to take a while for most stuff right now, as we talked about. But if, <laughs> if people do want to reach out to you guys at Solid and and have you do something for them, how do they do that? So they can uh, find us on uh, online on our website, uh, SolidGroupUtah.com. And there has a, a link for inquiry, you know, some information on that. And we got, we got some teams that kind of manage that. And, you know, we asked them to leave kind of a description so that we can, you know, see what their needs are and see if they're, if we're a good fit to help them with their project. I think the best thing that you can do uh, ahead of contacting these guys is build what you envision in Minecraft. Because <laughs> Jeremy's favorite things are when people do that too. So, so it was, it was, this, oh, what's her name with the purple hair? A really nice girl and her boyfriend that were going to buy that house next to Jefferson Court. Oh, Rochelle. Rochelle. Uh-huh. Her, are they married? Were they married? Fiance, whatever. Yeah. He designed the remodel in Minecraft and forwarded me the Minecraft screenshots. You, you know, we've, uh, we've done more with less. And so <laughs> it's pretty impressive. So I, I, I told these guys about it. I'm like, you won't believe this. I, I get the graph paper all the time, the graph paper people who draw. I'm like, I actually got someone who, who did the remodel in Minecraft. Well, I was looking at a, I was looking at a graph paper that he had on his desk the other day because I was helping him with some, some technical stuff. And I'm, I'm like, he's like, it's not even to scale. I'm like, it's graph paper. Like, it's not even that hard to make graph paper. Paper somewhat to scale. He's like, look, the kitchen is smaller than the closet over here. I had the client to, oh, I drew it on graph paper for you. And uh, okay, you're like, oh wow, your garage is bigger than the rest of your house. Yeah, I, I think just drawing a napkin. I think some yeah. of, some of our, our greatest projects have started off on a on a, on a napkin just with an idea. And that's, so, if you know what you want, it, it can happen. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Frank. Hey, this has been fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Um, thanks again to Frank for yeah, joining thanks, us. Yeah, thanks, Frank. A- it's been a while trying to get you on. It's, I'm, I'm so happy we finally made it happen. It actually worked out really well because we had a we had a an episode in the books that we were going to put on, and then yours was going to post tomorrow anyway. And so last week, I'm like, well, why don't we just see if he can come instead of taking the Tuesday off? And Jeremy's like. Well, okay. So it actually it worked out, worked just, out, worked well. out just fine. Cause it was meant to be. Yeah, I'm, it excited, was. I'm excited to be here. Excited for the opportunity. You know, it's, uh, still different. I haven't done, uh, I've anything done like this. And well, so now, you, now you have. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, if you guys, uh, would, uh, share the episode, that's what helps us more than anything. And then, uh, uh, you can follow us out on social media at TNU podcast everywhere. And then, uh, the new Utah.com is the website. Um, there's all kinds of stuff on there. Uh, Jeremy gets to write this blog. I'm hoping to get out of writing any blogs this month. Um, we'll see. No, you have to do the last one. <laughs> I know. It's the worst one. I had double. to do the Olea one. That was three interviews in one. That so. was a big, that was a big blog, but, uh, you can get links to all the different things. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll including the, group. the fundraiser, the, kick- the, the Kickstarter. Kickstarter if you can go to any of their websites or you can go to ours and all of that stuff is all and again, linked that's, in the- that's for the neighborhood hive. Don't right. search for Olio on Kickstarter. Search for the neighborhood right. hive. Um, yeah. So that's it for the week. Uh, hopefully you guys, uh, can survive the heat. Um, of course, if you're listening in December randomly four years from now, then <laughs> they're like, cool. there's 12 feet of snow outside. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, you guys have a good day.